Chapter 2 God's Glory and Our Happiness Although God takes no delight in afflicting His people, He sometimes exposes them to great and grievous sufferings. The mercies and compassions of God over His people are exceedingly great and tender. Scripture Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. Psalm 103, verse 13 He does not delight in afflicting and grieving them. He doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 33 The Scripture intimates to us a seeming conflict between the justice and mercy of God when He is about to deliver up His people into the hands of their enemies. Scripture How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboam? Mine heart is turned within me, my repentings are kindled together. Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. This shows us with what reluctance and great unwillingness the Lord goes about such a work as this. The work of judgment is His more unusual work. It pleases Him more to execute the milder attribute of mercy toward His children. For this reason, we find when He is preparing to execute His judgments that He delays the execution as long as the honor of His name and the safety of His people will permit. Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 22-23 He bears until he can bear no longer. He often turns away his wrath from them. Psalm 78, verses 38-39 He tries them by lesser judgments and gentler corrections to prevent greater. Amos chapter 4, verse 6 When his people are humbled under the threats of his wrath, his heart is melted into compassion to them. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 17 and verse 20 and whenever his mercy prevails against judgment, it is with joy and triumph. James chapter 2, verse 13. For he feels his own tender compassions yearning over them. He foresees and is not willing to gratify the insulting pride of his and their enemies. Scripture I said, I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 26-27 through 27. But despite all this, the Lord's sons and daughters often provoke Him to give them up into the hands of their enemies for the correction of their evils and the manifestation of His own glory. Seneca, though a heathen, could say that God loves His people with a masculine love, not with a womanly indulgence and tenderness. If it is required, they will be in heaviness through manifold temptations. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. God would rather their hearts be heavy under adversity than vain and careless under prosperity. The choicest spirits have been exercised with the sharpest sufferings, and those that now shine as stars in heaven have been trod underfoot as dung on the earth. Scripture Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst, and are naked and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place, and labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world, and the offscouring of all things unto this day. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11-13 through 13. Hebrews chapter 11 is a compendium of the various and grievous sufferings of the saints of the early church. Scripture They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 37 through 38. And since the earth has dried up those rivers of precious blood, of which the sacred records make mention, what seas of Christians' blood have since those days been shed by bloody persecutors? Histories inform us that in the ten early persecutions, so many of the saints and martyrs of Jesus Christ were slain that you may allow five thousand a day to every day in the whole year. Those bloody emperors amused themselves with the death of God's dearest saints. Many precious Christians were burned by night in Rome to serve as torches to light their enemies' passage through the streets. Since the Jesuits rose out of the bottomless pit, eight hundred thousand martyrs are mentioned within the space of thirty years. To what grievous sufferings did the Lord give up those precious servants of Christ, the Waldenses and Albigenses, who received the light of Reformation about year 1260, when the fogs of anti-Christian darkness overspread the earth? It appears by their extant letters, catechisms, and confessions that they were a people sound in judgment, a people of a simple, plain, and inoffensive behavior. Yet with what fury and rage did that impious Pope Pius persecute them to destruction! He drove them into the woods and mountains. The aged and children who could not flee were murdered in the way. Some famished in the caves and clefts of the rocks, others endured the rack for eight hours, some were beaten with iron rods, and others were thrown from the tops of high towers and dashed to pieces. What bloody shambles and slaughterhouses have France, Ireland, and England been made by popish cruelty? More might be related out of each story than a tender-hearted listener can bear listening to. But what God has done, He may do again. We are not better than our fathers. Dismal clouds of indignation are gathering over our heads, charged with double destruction, should the Lord please to make them break on us. We cannot imagine the rage of Satan diminished now that his kingdom hastens to its end, Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, nor his instruments grown less cruel and able to destroy. The land indeed has enjoyed a long rest, and this generation is acquainted with little more of martyrdom than what the histories of former times inform us. But do not be fooled with a groundless expectation of continuing tranquility. Augustine thinks that the bloody sweat that overran the body of Christ in the garden signified the sharp and grievous sufferings that in his mystical body he should afterward endure. Indeed, it is a truth that these are also called the remains of Christ's sufferings. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. His personal sufferings were indeed completed at his resurrection. That cup was full to the brim, and not a drop of suffering can be added. But his sufferings in his mystical body are not yet full. By his personal sufferings, he fully satisfied the wrath of God, but the sufferings of his people have not yet satisfied the wrath of men. Though millions of precious saints have shed their blood for Christ, and their souls are now crying under the altar, How long, O Lord? Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, there are still many more coming on behind in the same path of persecution, and much Christian blood must yet be shed before the mystery of God is finished. Notwithstanding this lucid interval, the clouds seem to be returning again after the rain, and you see to what grievous sufferings the merciful God has sometimes called His dearest people. Now God may be said to call His people to suffer when He so hedges them in by providence that there is no way to escape suffering except by sinning. 
If providence provides such a dilemma as this, it is a plain sign of God's will to us in that case. We no longer expect extraordinary calls to suffering as some of the saints had of old. Genesis chapter 22 verse 2, Acts chapter 9 verse 16. But when our way is so shut up by providence that we cannot avoid suffering except by stepping over the hedge of the command, God will have us look on that difficulty as his call to suffer. If reasons are demanded why the Lord, who is inclined to mercy, often hedges in his own people by his providence in a way of suffering, know that in so doing, he both illustrates his own glory and promotes his people's happiness. First, it is here that the most wise God illustrates the glory of his own name, making clear the righteousness of his ways by the suffering of his own people. By this, the world will see that no matter how well he loves them, he will not indulge or patronize their sins. If they will be so disingenuous to abuse his favors, he will be so just to make them suffer for their sins, and by those very sufferings he will provide for his own glory, which had been clouded by their sin in the eyes of the world. He does not hate sin any less because it is found in his own people. Amos chapter 3 verse 2. To magnify his mercy, he will pardon their sins, yet to make clear his righteousness, he will take vengeance of their inventions. Psalm 99 verse 8. Furthermore, by exposing his people to such grievous suffering, he gives a fitting opportunity to manifest the glory of his power in their support and of his wisdom in the marvelous ways of their escape and deliverance. One of the greatest wonders in the world is how the church subsists under such fierce and frequent assaults made on it by its enemies. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Exodus chapter 3 verse 3. That flaming bush was a lively emblem of the oppressed church in Egypt. The crackling flames noted the heat of their persecution, and the unconsumed bush in the flames signified the wonderful power of God in their preservation. No people are so privileged, so protected, or so delivered as the people of God. Much less opposition than has been made against the church has overturned and utterly destroyed the mighty monarchies of the world. Claudian wrote, Assyria's empire thus the Mede did shake, the Persian next the pride of Media break. Then Persia sunk by Macedonia pressed, that in its turn fell by Rome at last. And no less admirable is the wisdom of God in frustrating and defeating the most deep and desperate designs of hell against his poor people. You may see the most wise God going beyond a malicious and subtle devil, overturning in a moment the deep-laid designs and contrivances of many years, and at the very birth and point of execution, snaring the wicked in the works of their own hands. Esther chapter 7 verse 10. He makes their own tongues fall on them, and works out such marvelous salvation with his own hand that they are filled with astonishment and wonder. Scripture, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Psalm 126 verse 1. Second, as God provides for his own glory by the sufferings and troubles of his people, so he uses those troubles to advance his people's happiness and greatly promote their interest. 1. These troubles are ordered as occasions and means to destroy the corruptions that are in their hearts. There are rank weeds springing up in the best soil that need such winter weather to rot them. And if we count humility, heavenly-mindedness, contempt of the world, and longing desires after heaven to be the real interest and advantage of the church, 
then it is evident that nothing promotes their interest as much as a suffering condition. Adversity kills those corruptions that prosperity bred. 2. By these trials, their sincerity is made clear to the joy and satisfaction of their own hearts. Many doubts and fears, which had long entangled and perplexed them, are removed and answered. Adversity tries their hearts and gives them proof. One sharp trial in which God helps them to be faithful will do more to satisfy their fears and resolve their doubts than all the sermons they will ever hear could do. 3. These sufferings and trials of the church are ordained to free it of an abundance of hypocrites, which were its reproach as well as its burden. Amos chapter 9, verses 9-10 through 10. Affliction is a furnace to separate the dross from the more pure and noble gold. Multitudes of hypocrites, like flies in a hot summer, are generated by the church's prosperity. But this winter weather kills them. Many gaudy professors grow within the enclosure of the church like beautiful flowers in the field, where they stand during its peace and prosperity in the pride and bravery of their gifts and professions. Scripture, For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. Psalm 103, verse 16. Thunder and lightning are parts of very terrible weather, but are exceedingly useful to purify and cleanse the air. 4. The church's sufferings are ordered and sanctified to endear its people to each other. Times of common suffering are times of reconciliation and greater affection among the people of God. People are never more endeared than when most persecuted, never more united than when most scattered. Scripture Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 Certainly there is something in our fellowship in the same sufferings that is endearing and engaging, but there is much more in the discoveries that persecution makes of the sincerity of our hearts, which before, perhaps, harbored jealousy. And there is still more in the reproofs of the rod that humble them for their pride, wantonness, and bitterness of their spirits to each other, and makes them cry in the awareness of these transgressions, Remember not against us former iniquities. Psalm 79, verse 8. 5. By these troubles and distresses they are awakened to their duties and taught to pray more frequently, spiritually, and fervently. Drowsiness and formality are apt to creep in on the best hearts in the time of prosperity, but when the storm arises and the sea grows turbulent and raging, they cry as the disciples did to Christ, Lord, save us, we perish. Matthew chapter 8, verse 25. They say music is sweetest on the waters. I am sure the sweetest melody of prayer is on the deep waters of affliction. For these, among many other righteous, wise, and holy ends, the Lord permits and orders the persecutions and distresses of His people.